Hi, it's Joanna Oki here and welcome back to The Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, today we're talking to Chris Menzel, who is a serial entrepreneur with a really interesting story to share all about how he launched his first business with nothing but a business idea and a lot of gumption. He then grew this business and sold it for twice the amount he had originally dreamed. Chris used this business sale to mould his life forward and created a really good life for himself. It's a classic feel-good story filled with so much insight, encouragement, but also warnings for business owners who are in the midst of growing their business or for anyone who is considering an exit through sale far into the future. And the other interesting element of this is that Chris built and sold this business decades ago. So he really provides us with some incredible insight that really is detached from a period of time of him now being able to look at his life now and the story of how he got where he is now. So look, the first episode is the first half of a two-part series with Chris. So sit back, relax, and we'll jump right into it. Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. You're listening to the Deal Room Podcast. Join us as we bring you the inside scoop on business sales and acquisitions. Get across trends in the area and hear the industry's best recount their real life tips, traps, and experiences. Now, here's your host, Joanna Oki. All right, Chris. Firstly, I just want to say a massive thank you for joining us all the way from Maui. I'm um, I'm feeling, I have to admit, just a little bit jealous right now. Though Sydney's beautiful, but I have visions of where you're, where your your surroundings in Maui at the moment. I'm a little bit green. Very well. I, I love Sydney. I, I was there about twenty years ago and almost almost moved to Australia. Byron Bay was really calling me. Yeah. I had been in Maui before and Maui just pulled me back. Yeah, wow. Got me this gorgeous natural beauty and wonderful energy. Pulled me right back. Yeah. Well, then how about we kick it off by talking about how it is that you arrived in Maui? And I think the theme of what we're talking about today is really about as individuals as taking a long view of life. I think this is something that you mentioned as we were talking um, before we started recording. And and I think that's a really good point. And I guess you did things a little bit differently. So we're talking, you know, today about a business sale that was quite a few years ago. But I think the important element or or perhaps the interesting element is how you took the sale of your business and you used it to mould your life moving forward to create a really good life for yourself. So maybe if you can give us a little bit of an overview and talk to us about that. Let's go back 29 years or however many years it was when you started that business, that first business that you sold. Maybe take us back to that. What business was it? And uh, where are we in time at the moment? Well, let let me even go back a little further. 50 years ago, I was growing up in Germany and I watched all these advertisements that showed happy young people dancing under coconut trees. Mm. And when I, when I looked outside, it was raining, it was snowing, it was cold. And I think that that really deeply impacted me. That's, that's the only 
true reason that I can find why I wound up in Maui. So go forward about uh, 34 years ago, I was I was very interested in living my own life. And I think that that was not a product of the German system, but of being spending one year in the United States. I was an exchange student there. And one day at lunch, we talked about how you can work for yourself, not for somebody else, uh, create your business, become independently wealthy. And yeah, you're familiar with all that now. But back then in Germany, that was not something people talked about. In fact, back then in Germany, it was uh, everybody had a job. They were thinking of keeping this job for their entire time. And entrepreneurs weren't really much of a career path at that point. But I, I really liked that conversation and immediately decided I will never be employed. <laughs> so the, the entrepreneurial fire was lit way back then. Yeah, that's where it got fired up. Next stop was I read an article about somebody who started a company, wrote a piece of software, and sold that company for a million. And that was cool. That that made a real impression. I thought, well, that's a good plan. And then half a year later, I discovered that a new technology was coming out. It was was like sensational. It was like 100 times better than what existed back then. This is 1984. And what was the technology? 1984, we had the first IBM PC had just gotten its hard drive, and we were so excited. It had five megabytes. Phenomenal. <laughs> 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 so uh, so five megabytes that's that's about one photo right now yeah, or that's yeah, one yeah. thousands of five gigabytes <laughs> so uh, we were we were so excited having five megabytes we we were, wouldn't really think of how could we ever feel that from working <laughs> and the new technology that came out was cd-rom mm. And uh, CD-ROM had 500 megabytes of storage. Now, to put that in our thinking back then, it was like you take the Bible, the, the biggest book that yeah, we have access to, and you can put 100 Bibles in 500 megabytes. And I was there uh, on the day that this technology got introduced, got introduced in Germany because the biggest computer fair at that time was in Hanover and immediately decided this is my ticket. This is what I want to do. I had a Macintosh at home. <laughs> Sensational, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and by now it's uh, early, early 85. Yep. So my 128K Macintosh was able to print me a business card and a little flyer and Back, I went to the fair and I said, we are a, a company that's really specializing in CD-ROM. We create software for CD-ROM. We're like the German specialists for this. And immediately, those companies liked it. It was yeah, Philips and Hitachi, yeah, two giants that were introducing these new boxes they had. And they had no interest in writing software or working with customers. They wanted to sell thousands and hundreds of thousands of these boxes. And so they were so happy that I was there. 
and took me to every possible fair, introduced me to their customers. And I think in the first year, I was at least in, in 12 different fairs talking to people about this. And was this just you in your business at this time? At this time, yes. I was I was uh, 27 years old. I looked like about 21 or maybe <laughs> And I was talking to the heads of publishing empires that uh, some of them were 70, 80 years old and utterly clueless and uh, were so happy that they had a young person to talk to. Mm. And this this was before the time that the kids ran everything. This this was still when yeah, a 27-year-old really wasn't listened to. And I had a little bit of savings. So the next step was I hired five people and we wrote software that this did this amazing thing of searching through 500 megabytes in a matter of two seconds and finding any word in there. So, of course, that, that's nothing now, but back then it was really sensational to look for the Bible and find yeah, all the instances where a certain word or a certain sentence would appear. Right. So, so right in the beginning when you went to this computer fair and, and you started this dialogue, at that point, you didn't have a product, you hadn't developed anything, but you were just talking about the possibilities. Is that right? Yes, yes. I had, I had absolutely nothing. I, I had a business card and an idea. Right, right, right. I had no idea how we would program that. I had no idea if it would work, but I knew these people were hungry to find a solution to sell their boxes, get their boxes out there. Yeah, yeah, right. Okay, and so so, so you came with this big idea and a lot of gumption, I guess, at, at the time as, as um, you know, you put yourself forward with, without having, you know, the product at that point. You're able to to get people who had a need, large businesses who had a need, to then start promoting you themselves through trade fairs and then out of that you had the confidence to build the companies that's sort of how how it worked and then build the product (laughs) and and the other part is you really need that stupidity to not know that you could fail and therefore just to put one step in front of the other that's that's a problem when you get older you you lose that stupidity and you get this idea in your head that you could fail. But if, if you just put one step in front of the other, you, you can wind up at amazing places. I love it. I love it. So then tell us about the what the business did then. So you had, you had your five staff. You're now developing the code. You've actually got your product now, which is great. You've got something to sell. Um, uh, I like that you started with the customers first and then... <laughs> added something to sell. So so then walk us through the evolution of this business. Yeah. So now we were the first company in Germany and, and probably worldwide that had a search system specifically for CD-ROM. And so we went uh, to all these fairs, made a lot of contacts and did a lot of the initial products and, and tryouts for publishers. And, uh, yeah, a bunch of really big names in Germany and built a really good working relationship with the big scientific publisher, Springer, probably known to most of you that's uh, operating worldwide. We did card catalog 
think it was worldwide the first card catalog on CD-ROM mm. for university library. And I think we did probably about 30 different CD-ROMs at that in, in a matter of four years. Mm, wow. We also built the first portable computer with a built-in CD-ROM drive. And that was about uh, in 1988. Right. And, yeah, was a big hit uh, on fairs and, yeah, to show off. Great, great thing to show off our capacity. And so what size did the company end up getting to? Yeah, it was really beautiful with seven, eight people in the beginning. We knew each other. We were just sitting in one or two rooms, yeah, very intensely together. And as the business grew, we were 20 and at times 25 people. And I must say, I, I didn't like it that much because suddenly we had uh, we had to put in a hierarchy. It just wasn't possible to manage 25 people all by themselves. And since I had never worked anywhere else, I was totally clueless about hierarchy and how to do that. So, yeah, that's that's a typical number. Yeah, eight people is is the size of the company you can you can really manage well together i think if i would do it again i would really look out for help and get some coaching on uh, growing the company and yeah, being able to manage a growing company better yeah, you're right. I think the reality is many business owners who are growing go through the exact same struggles. You know, they, particularly if they have been the founders of the business, because it's one set of skills to be able to create a business that's capable of growth. It's another set of skills that are needed to be able to manage that business as it's hit, you, you know, as it passes through different levels. And I, from what I can see, they're also the danger periods for businesses. You know, when you've grown so much that suddenly you're hit with something like, for example, needing to add management layers and yet not having the skill set to know how to do that and not going and getting the right help at that time so that you can develop that skill set. Yes. And, and for most businesses it's cash flow we, we suddenly we had 20 people and suddenly we had to bring in hundred thousand or more every single month and that's not easy we were mostly service oriented business and uh, at times we needed 20 people and then there were months where we just needed five people the 20 people were on the payroll they had to pay it every month and that got critical to a point that uh, for the first time ever we went to the bank and got a loan to be able to go through these up and down phases. Yep, to deal with it. And so how many years into the business is this that we're talking about now? So now we're three, four years into the business. In, in the meantime, I had uh, two children. In the beginning, I was I was more able to be there and be with them but as the business grew I would yeah, get out of the house sometimes five o'clock in the morning to fly to a meeting and yeah come back at 11 o'clock and it wasn't unusual to come back uh, nine ten o'clock at night right okay so you were really I mean you were really burning it and you had the you know new new young kids which is a you know sleep is hard as well <laughs> 
yes. <laughs> you know, I recall, yes, yes. In fact, I'm still there now. Sleep is tough. So so it sounds like you you probably were heading towards a point of exhaustion. And what happened what happened with the business to lead it into sales? So when was it that you sold the business and, and why had that all come about? So um, I, I felt how it became a strain on me. And a lot of that was the financial strain, but also the, the late working hours. And I think it's a, that's a typical time. After about five years, entrepreneurs get ready to sell because you just can't burn the candle on both ends that long. So at, at that point, my main customer was uh, Springer Verlag. And uh, one day they came to me and said they would love to invest in the company because they could see how we were growing and how we were. We had fantastic customers and they uh, thought this is the time to increase their capacity in new technologies. And the best way to do that would be to be in this company. And for me, that was uh, an, an interesting decision uh, because they they wanted to come in with yeah maybe twenty percent or fifty percent. But my feeling was that yeah even if they only were a minority partner, just because yeah they were a company with thousands of employees, they would always be in power. So. At that point, I realized that if I wanted to bring them in, there was really no point in in sharing the business because who else would I sell the rest of the business to? So I went back to them and I said, I really appreciate it and I would like to sell the entire business and also, yeah, ask for five times the money that they wanted to pay me. Oh, very clever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how did you form your strategy at that point about how how you would form your offer to them? So, I, you know, obviously you've never done this before. You've never sold a business. Here you are. You've decided you're tired. You probably see this as an opportunity to maybe get out but how did you work out the landscape? Because it can be quite, I don't, I don't know, Did I, I think many people say to me there's a lot to consider uh, and particularly if you don't know, if you haven't done it before, it can be confusing. So did you find it confusing? Did you find it overwhelming? What are the strategies you use to work out what to do? I was very clear from the beginning that I couldn't go into that alone. If, if I would have just tried to wing it, yeah, I would have not been able to do that. Uh, luckily, I had a really good friend who agreed to help me, and I paid him very little. And he came uh, with me to all the discussions we had. And uh, yeah, just was there mostly listening, sometimes bringing in his knowledge. And then after the meeting, yeah, corrected me what I should say, better say, what not to say, and looked at the paperwork. And that, that was an incredible help. It's, it's really, really important to have somebody professional be there and, and look at it with you. Standing by your side. And, um, and, and you said you made an offer to them of uh, effectively five times what they'd offered um, initially. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. How did you come up with that figure? 
Well, at that time, I, I had some minority partners, so I only had a part of the company. I figured I needed to pay taxes, and uh, I wanted to have this illusory one million that I read about in the article. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and, uh, and so I calculated backwards and added a little bit more. Right. Um, and came up with, well, I really have to ask for five million. Uh, so, yeah, that in the end I, I get, yeah, my million. Wow. I, I miscalculated. Uh, I wound up with two. Um, <laughs> That's fabulous. And, uh, and that had to do with, uh, with the specific tax structure. Right. That's one thing that I would recommend to everybody to look at very early, even before they think of selling, uh, because at that point, Germany was not taxing capital earnings. And if you owned less than 20% of a company, uh, you had capital earnings taxes. So the partners, my, my, my partners in the business, did not pay any taxes on selling the company. And if I had known that earlier, I would have distributed my shares within the, my family or yeah, maybe, maybe close, close friends or further family and been able to, to reduce the taxes. And I think it's, it's really a, a good thing to yeah, look at that yeah, like two, three years before possible sale. And that's one thing I would recommend uh, to you actually to yeah, give people information and um, about that and say if if you if you ever thinking that you could sell your business in the in the far future here are a number of tips that I can email you to prepare for that I'm so glad you say that Chris because this is actually something that we talk about a lot but uh, but I think at the end of the day like real experiences, you know, I think you sitting there talking about your own story, people talking about the realities of what happens if, you know, the differences that it can make from actually following through and doing this. I, I think that in many ways appears to be more powerful when I, than when I continue to say it. So I'm really glad <laughs> you mentioned it because it's real, right? It's real at the end of the day because it impacts what's in your pocket and that's what it's about at the end of the day right yeah yeah and it's it's really something we did not see coming we we yeah i i had a tax accountant we had one one of my partners knew a lot of things we, we had studied the taxes but we did not see that coming at all that they wouldn't have to pay taxes. Wow. Okay. So it's actually a change in legislation that had happened. No, no, no. It, it was just that we always thought, well, we're all owners of the business, so we'll pay the reduced taxes that would, we would sell for being owners. Right. And we didn't realize that there was this 20% margin below that you wouldn't be considered an owner. So I guess it's about getting the right advice. And as you say, you weren't even building or preparing for sale right at that point. It was sort of an offer that came to you that suddenly put this on track quickly. So I, I guess, you know, in that is about getting the right advice, but being always in a sale-ready state so that if these offers come to you, you can take advantage of them and be ready for them. 
Yeah, and it would have been probably too late. Yeah, after the offer came in, I think the authorities would have looked at it a little strange if I would have distributed the stock between my family and myself, and they would have said, "Well, this is really tax avoidance." Yes, um, yes. But yeah. if if that had happened three years before, there wouldn't have been any problem, and I would have saved yeah a lot of taxes. Yeah. Wow. Okay. All right. Well, um, fabulous point. Maybe we'll put a link in this to uh, contact us if um, you're ever thinking of selling your business or this might apply to you and we can give you some guidance (laughs) of these sorts of things to think about in advance. And I meant that to our listeners, obviously. So you put this offer at five times, they accepted it, you went through the sale process. And firstly, how did you find the sale process itself? Once you had come to this agreement as to commercial terms, did it all happen quite quickly or was there a lot involved for you? Well, in, in our case, I think we went, we went for about eight months. We had meetings probably every month. Wasn't that easy because yeah, they're running a big company and it's not something they, that they have time built in for. So we had these meetings to get more familiar with each other and get a personal connection with each other. It was really, really nice in terms of we, yeah, there was not much discussion about the amount of money or hard details. It was just about, yeah, let's do the right thing together. Right, right, right. Well, it sounds like it was a very, it was a nice transaction then at the end of the day. Obviously, you got what you, uh, <laughs> what you had planned all these years before in terms of creating a company and then being able to sell out for not the one million, but the two million. So twice what your plan was. <laughs> <laughs> so you must have yeah. been a happy camper, Chris. You must have been a happy camper. I was very happy and just put us in a in a whole new new status, a whole new feeling coming out of the cash crunch that most people are uh, are in that run a business and suddenly saying, Oh, there's a nice car at the corner. Hey, we can, <laughs> we can buy that car, or we could buy that car. <laughs> uh, a whole a whole different feeling. Because, and you said that was 29 years ago, so $2 million must have been, I mean, it's a lot of money now, but it must have been, you know, it must have been a massive amount of money back then. Yeah, yeah. If you, it was actually uh, 2 million marks at that point. Right. And today companies sell for $50 million like that. So, So I would say that's, it's the same feeling as maybe $15 million would be Wow! at this point. Amazing, amazing. And this is a company that you'd built only over four or five years, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, wow. So I don't know, credit to you. It's got to talk about, you know, the power of goal setting, right? Right from the beginning you were clear about where you were going and and you got there. Good on you, Chris. I love it. What a great story. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, never, never start a company without a goal. Yeah, yeah. Really, really have to uh, do that, and for me, it's it's also important that I had read this article and seen that it was realistic and that somebody had done that. Yes, right. Okay, all right. It wasn't just a pipe dream. You knew that there was a possibility of getting there. Yeah. What a fabulous story, Chris. And what 
we'll do is we'll come back in the next episode and talk about, you know, where you went to next and the beauty of life after achieving this goal that you'd set yourself and maybe give some of our business owners out there some ideas about how they can set up a life on their terms because I think that's what it sounds like you did after the sale of your business. And maybe we'll also throw in there some um, business lessons from other businesses that uh, you're involved in. But thank you so much for coming on board today, Chris. And I'm really looking forward to talking to you in part two of this episode. Well, it's a great joy. Thank you so much. Well, that concludes part one of our two-part series with serial entrepreneur Chris Menzel. And in this episode, we discussed how Chris became an entrepreneur and the business idea that sent him down that career path. We then drilled into some important lessons that he learned from growing and then selling that business. This episode puts emphasis on the sorts of things that business owners ought to consider as they build a business, especially if they're considering an exit through sale sometime into the future. So as a quick recap, here are three valuable takeaways from our discussion with Chris today. Number one, don't be ashamed to ask for help. Indeed, starting and growing a business is hard enough, but this doesn't mean you have to go through it alone. Chris talked about his struggles as the business hit that growth phase, where he then realised that he didn't have the right skills to effectively manage a growing company. He also mentioned how helpful it was to have a friend assist him through the sale process. Number two, get educated on the sorts of things you ought to consider before you lead into sale. Now, Chris mentioned his experience with specific tax structures and lamented how he could have saved so much more on taxes if he had been given proper advice years before the actual sale. Now, as you know, if you're a regular listener to this podcast, scenarios like this one can be easily avoided by getting professional help or by taking advantage of free resources such as this podcast to get some helpful tips and advice early on so that you can implement that advice. It's all about ensuring that you, if you're the business owner or your clients, if you deal with business owners who are leading into sale, are getting the right advice early enough that they can make the changes that will make a massive difference to the amount of money in their pocket at the end of the day. So number three, never start a business without a goal. So right from the beginning, Chris was always clear about what he wanted. And that sense of clarity I got from talking to him was really pivotal in molding his path forward to create a really good life for himself. I actually thought it was a really interesting discussion where Chris said, you know, he got this idea from uh, reading this article about this future life he could have if only he could sell his business for a a million marks. And of course, uh, if you listened to this podcast throughout, you'll find that he sold it for double that amount. So in part two, we're going to talk more to Chris about his life post-sale, where we cover the importance of a wealth management plan after after going through a sale and that liquidity event, and also the emotional tug of war he experienced at that point. Now, if you're interested in listening into that, then just head over to Apple Podcasts or your other favorite podcast player and hit the subscribe button for the Deal Room podcast, and you'll get 
part two straight to your phone next week. And in the meantime, if you need advice on a business sale transaction currently on foot or you're considering an exit through sale into the future and you need help getting your business in a sale ready state, we'd be more than happy to assist you here at Aspect Legal. So why don't you look at taking advantage of our 20 minute discussion by checking out our show notes at thedealroompodcast.com where we link through to our booking calendar. All you have to do is choose a time and date that works best for you and one of our legal eagles will give you a call free of charge. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening in. This has been Joanna Oki and The Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. Aspect Legal has a number of great services that help businesses prepare for a sale or acquisition to help them prepare in advance and to get transaction ready. We've also got a range of services to help guide businesses through the sale and acquisitions process. We work with clients both big and small and have different types of services depending on size and complexity. We provide a free consultation to discuss your proposed sale or acquisition So see our show notes on how to book a time to speak with us or head over to our website at aspectlegal.com.au. Ladies and gentlemen, gentlemen. that will conclude this evening's entertainment. Thanks for listening to The Deal Room Podcast. To find out more about this episode and other episodes in the series, check out the show notes or head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com.au. 